This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, January 18th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. This week, a revised North American trade agreement passed the Senate, and the president achieved something of a starter trade agreement with China. But whatever the terms of those agreements, Cato's Simon Lester and Inu Monarch argue there's not much in them to constrain the administration from engaging in future pointless tariff wars. The, the good news about the the phase one U.S.-China trade deal is that it, it it prevents further tariff escalation. We were scheduled to have more tariffs uh, going into effect, and, and this deal seems to pre- prevent that. The bad news is it keeps just about all the the previous tariffs in place. Um, there's a slight reduction in some. So so basically, you know, we've just we've we've created a status quo of these trade war tariffs, and, and that's a big problem. Um, but but that's where we are right now. Um, beyond the tariffs, uh, the the trade deal does some interesting and strange things. Um, Potentially, it gets rid of some Chinese trade barriers uh, in agriculture and other areas. Um, there's some complicated rules. We're going to have to see how uh, it's implemented and see how it works. That That is a, a good part of the deal if it works. Um, a bad part is that there, there's an aspect to this deal that's really not about trade opening at all. It's about managed trade and guaranteed purchases of, 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 uh, of U.S. products by China. You know, China's committed to to buying two hundred billion dollars of U.S. products over two years beyond um, a two thousand seventeen baseline, and that's just that, that's not that's not a trade liberalization deal in any sense. Um, so, so it sets a really bad precedent. Uh, it's completely un- unclear whether China can actually purchase that amount, um, whether the U.S. has that amount to sell. And uh, what other countries w- will think of it if China switches purchases from their products to U.S. products? So, so like most trade agreements under the the Trump administration, it's sort of a, a mixed bag, a big mess. You can find some things you like, you can find a lot more things you don't like, um, and, and that's basically what it is. Simon, you alluded to the fact that this is phase one. Uh, what's the better or harder stuff that was left for uh, phase two? Well, the, the, some structural issues, that's how they're referred to, uh, that might be dealt, dealt with in phase two relate to Chinese subsidies and the behavior of state-owned enterprises. And that's something that, that wasn't dealt with in phase one. It, it's still out there. So, so in theory, if we're going to have a phase two, it would involve further lowering of, of the U.S. tariffs, of the Chinese retaliatory tariffs, and a Chinese agreement to to rein in subsidies to to really address the the fundamental trade distortions that that are you know kind of inherent in in its state led um, economic model. Um, but that's a lot of work. I mean, that, that's not going to be easy. It took a solid two years to get to the, the phase one deal that is you know arguably somewhat limited. Um, the the phase two deal looks like it'll be harder. So I, I wouldn't expect it anytime soon. My best guess. Uh, and it's hard to predict anything in trade policy or U.S. politics in general right now, is that we've we've reached the stage where we're getting close to presidential uh, election season. Um, Trump and the administration wanted a, a win that they could tout on the campaign trail. They wanted to calm the markets uh, by signing some sort of deal, and, and they have that. So, so there will be some sort of phase two talks. There will be conversations, maybe meetings, but I would be surprised if, if we made significant progress on phase two um, prior to the election. I, I feel like we're, we're, at, we're at a stage now where we just have to wait and see 
what happens in the election, who's going to be president next, uh, you know, uh, next year. Um, and then we'll see whether it's more of Trump, in which case uh, we, we dive back into the, the existing U.S.-China trade negotiating process. Or if it's somebody else, what do they want to do about all this? Um, most Democrats seem like they would go in somewhat of a different direction, uh, you know, e even if it's a protectionist one, it's a different protectionist direction than Trump is going. Um, so we'll just we'll just have to wait and see if there's a Democratic president, what they want to do about what the Trump administration has left for them. So more broadly uh, to you, Inu, the USMCA, the revised NAFTA has passed the U.S. Senate. The president has signaled his support for it. There were uh, relatively few no votes, but there were Republicans and Democrats uh, in that mix. What were what were their concerns and how do you evaluate them? So the USMCA passed this morning by a pretty large margin, 89 to 10 votes against. Uh, of that mix of 10, uh, one was a Republican, that's Senator Pat Toomey, and his main concern was really about looking at certain aspects of USMCA that essentially were not following procedures in fast track authority, uh, which is pretty much the rules by which uh, trade agreements get sort of expedited treatment uh, in the United States uh, Congress. And he basically claimed that, you know, these rules were not followed. But in addition to that, he raised a lot of concerns about the way that these rules were uh, organized within the new NAFTA in, con in consideration of things like the auto rules of origins and the sunset clause. Uh, and the sunset clause is a provision in which the agreement automatically expires after 16 years unless the parties agree to extend it. And he has raised concerns in the past in hearings about that provision, saying that there's no role for Congress in the way the agreement is currently uh, constructed. Now, uh, you know, as a general trade matter in the United States, we've talked about this a number of times, which is that the president has uh, enormous authority ceded to him by Congress over uh, decades uh, to essentially unilaterally trade uh, change some of the rules related to trade. Was is there anything in either of these agreements? that uh, give us any confidence that the president of the United States will not unilaterally impose tariffs in order to gain some sort of uh, leverage and thus cause a lot of the uncertainty that we've seen uh, recently over trade. I think to some extent, they actually go in the opposite direction and give us more cause for concern. So for example, in this US-China trade deal, the dispute resolution chapter basically says, hey, if we, the United States, thinks you, China, are in violation, well, then we can just impose tariffs. We don't have to get a, a judgment from some neutral body that you're in violation. We can just decide on our own. Um, so it really just pushes us more along the more in the direction of unilateral tariffs. Um, and uh, I mean, USMCA, I, I, I think that we are a hopeful that with uh, the, the NAFTA, the North American Trading Arrangement, more settled, um, President Trump won't be threatening tariffs against Mexico or, or Canada as he as he has. Um, but I don't know that there's any guarantee of that. I mean, he certainly, he, you know, in the face of trade agreements in the past, he was still comfortable threatening tariffs. Maybe because this is his own trade agreement, he'd be less likely to threaten tariffs that would undermine it. But I, I don't know that I'm uh, confident of that. And maybe I'll turn it over to Inu to see if she has any confidence. I'm certainly not confident that the USMCA 
prevents the president from taking other actions that could undermine the trading relationship with our two largest trading partners. When we look at one thing that was left out of USMCA, it was actually uh, the issue of further Section 232 tariffs, potentially on things like automobiles. Now, Section 232 tariffs are still in place uh, on steel and aluminum amongst many of our trading partners. Canada and Mexico got an exemption for this, uh, but not a full exemption. And they didn't actually achieve a full exemption from all future 232. And that's a huge problem. So the president could technically still impose tariffs on Canada and Mexico on other issues that he thinks are a concern for national security. Uh, and, and I don't really see anything in the agreement that prevents him from taking that action in the future. So at the end of the day, there's still a lot of uncertainty left over and a lot of leeway for the president to do what he wants. For trade policy in the future, for people who have watched uh, what has unfolded with respect to trade policy from this administration and how Congress has essentially allowed it without uh, too much fuss, uh, what confidence should that give uh, people who care about the freedom to trade, uh, you know, as a confidence that we're going to get future better trade agreements? Well, this has certainly been a big week for trade policy in the U.S., but perhaps for many of the wrong reasons. When you look at what has been achieved, it really is a victory, I think, for managed trade agreements and the way that this administration has used uh, tariffs as leverage uh, to gain concessions from their partners. And some of these concessions being further restrictions uh, on imports into the United States that actually will hurt U.S. businesses and consumers. So what we're really looking at are asymmetrical agreements, ones where it really is about sort of elevating U.S. industrial policy, about putting, uh, you know, buy American provisions in trade agreements. And I think that our trade partners uh, for future agreements are actually watching and they're watching very closely. The other thing that they're paying attention to, obviously, is the fact that all you have to do is to deal with President Trump and Ambassador Lighthizer, who really are setting trade policy for the United States. And this means that Congress has a diminished role in the future. And I do think that's another important calculation that our trading partners are going to keep in mind. So in terms of the check that Congress provides on the president in order to set trade policy, I think we're seeing that that's going to be a huge major shift uh, in U.S. trade policy going forward and something we should all be very concerned about. Eno Monik and Simon Lester are scholars in Cato's Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies. And now a shout out to a Cato podcast sponsor, Ed Kless. Thank you for your continued support of the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute. It's great for me to know that there are people who not only listen to what Cato scholars say, but support that work with a financial commitment. So thank you. You can subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.